This is the S Ra podcast. We have a huge fight weekend. This is the boxing edition of the Ezra podcast. And there's three big main events this weekend. Um, my favorite fight on the Showtime schedule is this weekend. The return of Ryan Garcia is this weekend. And Golovkin is finally going to get in with a legit opponent. Now, however legit you think Murata is, he's a legit opponent. Right? He's in the top five of middleweights. So this is definitely compared to, you know, Golovkin's last few opponents, right? This isn't a role situation or Zermeta situation. This is a legit guy that could be is competing at, at least in the talk, right? Of being, you know, considered one of the top guys in middleweight. And that's who Golovkin's going to get in the ring with. But let's start off with Ryan Garcia. His name power is just going to, it's going to rise to the top, right? The cream is going to rise to the top. Ryan Garcia's name. Power is going to rise to the top in the situation. He's facing Emmanuel Togo. Um, and no one, I'm going to be honest with you, not a lot of guys are familiar with Togo. And I wasn't familiar with Togo. And I'm a guy that watches boxing nonstop. Now, am I the most knowledgeable guy as far as these contenders that are from different countries and everything like that? No, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not. I like to pay attention on the stuff that you're actually going to watch and you're actually going to see. And when that comes across, right, and I see something that's going to soon be in front of you, then I'll give you a heads up. But I didn't wasn't studying to go. Now, did I study him for this fight? Yes, I did. Did I like what I saw? Some stuff I did. I think this could be a very interesting fight, especially with Brian Garcia switching to Goosen, uh, to Goosen, right? And depending on the, and really depending on the style that Goosen puts for Ryan Garcia, but I assume that it's going to be a style where he's more on the inside. He's more aggressive and he's looking to be Corrales-esque in an offensive style. And maybe to eliminate the defensive flaws that Ryan has is to not allow the openings to create those flaws, to, to magnify those flaws, right? If you're on the inside, Ryan doesn't have a problem on the inside. He has a problem on the outside. He has a problem with bad habits he has, or reaching for punches, dropping his hands when he shouldn't, pulling straight back, staying stiff. But on the inside, he could eliminate all that, right? Just by positioning, he could eliminate a lot of the openings they usually would have. And Emmanuel to go is very comfortable on the inside. That's where he wants to be. He has actually a very good feel on the inside. What I compared him to is like I see a little bit of uh, I see a little bit of Emmanuel Augustus in his in his fighting style. Now, not with all the crazy dancing in between the moves or the um the showmanship, right? But he does little things where he stays on the inside. He has very good feel. He he could uh, f- move off of punches. Even if like he catch them, he, he could move with them. He can, he can hit you with little shots, right? He can double up on the same side with the di- same punch over and over again. His legs and his he- where he places his head is probably not like the best place, right? Wouldn't be the play- way you teach it, right? Wouldn't be like if you were going to give someone the fundamentals, maybe this- it wouldn't exactly be a style that you come up with. But a lot of times, in boxing, you're just there to find the style that works best with you, with your body and what your body can do. And it looks like to go kind of found that for himself. So I think if he gets on the inside, well, you know, he's going to put himself in a few dangerous, uh, you know, dangerous spot with Ryan Garcia, with, especially with his speed and his power. He might be able to get into a rhythm and get into, a, you know, this might be the most comfortable spot for him in the fight. And I think that Ryan Garcia is going to gladly take that 
um, positioning in this fight as well. So I think it could be a very interesting fight, a very competitive fight on the inside with interesting tactics, especially with a guy like to go who's defensively aware, but looking to make you miss so he can make you pay. I don't think he has, you know, the most power, but I think that he's going to fill his shots. I think that he works the body, and I think that just certain things that he does, I'm just curious to see how Ryan reacts to it. I don't think Ryan's ever faced an opponent like this before. And it's not like Tako is, you know, a journeyman or anything like that. No, he's a guy that, in his mind, still thinks that he's one of the top guys in the weight division. So he also has a mind frame, right? He also seems like he's pretty durable. Does might not be the one shot usually like how it is for Ryan, right? Might not. It might take a little bit more. It might be a fight that could go a little bit in the deep waters. Now he does, um, uh, you know, to go does put himself in positions where he's really counting on his feel for where uh, the shots are coming from, right? His feel of the boxing game and being able to move and w- roll off of shots with Ryan with his speed and power, you know, that's a dangerous game to play, right? So I, I would think, you know, early where it's like we're going to see if he's going to be able to play that style with him and have any success with it because. Maybe he just gets caught early and it's just like, oh, no, you know, he's not going to be able to fight like that. And I don't know if Togo could go anywhere else. You know, that's kind of his style. That's kind of where he needs to be to have success in this fight. Now, a lot of questions are Ryan going to this fight as far as, you know, new trainer. What is he going to look like? What's the style going to be? Is he fixed these defensive flaws? Um, is he going to fight with at length? Is he going to fight in the inside? Is he looking to gain go rounds here? What, what is he? What is he looking to do? What is he looking to accomplish in the ring? All these questions going in there, especially with also, you know, Ryan coming off the mental health situation, right? Was um, switching trainers, all these changes before the fight. How does that affect him? Is he in the best? Is he in the best shape? Is he in the right mind frame for this kind of fight? If he re- faces a little bit of pushback, how's he going to react? Now, he's always reacted like a fighter. He's always reacted like a guy that says I'm the best in the world. But like I said, this is a, a lot of changes in his life and he's young, but he could be coming into his own. And it's very curious, you know, when I went to Goosen, I was a little bit worried. Not that it was Goosen that was the trainer. It was just a word that maybe Ryan was going to be the kind of guy where no one's going to be able to tell him anything. He wasn't going to be able to take uh, criticism or take advice. And he would always be switching trainers and he would always end up, he would probably just end up with a bunch of yes men. Now, I'm not saying Goosen is a yes man because I don't think he is. But when you switch you know, when you're get comfortable switching trainers, you get comfortable, uh, you know, getting guys in and out, depending on whether, uh, you feel like they're the problem and it's never you, you never, that it's, you're the problem. Well, then that's where I get worried and concerned. That's where I was concerned about Ryan Garcia, but we're going to find out. We're going to find out. And I think this is actually going to be a kind of entertaining fight. And I actually think that I kind of like the matchup as far as style wise. Now, I don't think the opponent on paper is very good. For Ryan Garcia, I think that, um, I don't know, you know, they probably don't think that they need anyone on paper to be very good right now for Ryan. Like, they know that they're going to sell well with Ryan Garcia. They know people are going to turn tune in and view. Look at, I'm covering his fight first, and there's two very good fights um, this weekend that could easily write, uh, any other week would be the first fight I talk about. But look at Ryan Garcia versus Togo is the one I go to. But... There is, you know, a shift at 135 right now where Haney went to top rank, Cabosa's at top rank, Lomachenko's at top rank. And now Ryan's kind of without 
an opponent, right? He's out with, without a major opponent. And it seems like him and Tank are just kind of sitting there looking at each other like, can they make this happen? Now, politics probably get in the way of that as far as Golden Boy not wanting to, you know, use a talent like Ryan Garcia this early in his career when they feel like, you know, they could probably put in him him in there with a Fortuna or Jojo Diaz or even like what Eddie Hearn suggested today with the Maxi Hughes in Europe. You have those opportunities and those fights and kind of like what they did with Tank up to this point. But Tank, remember, Tank's around 27 years old and Ryan Garcia is about 23, 24. So he's going to be without a major opponent for a while. Top Rank's about to have some fun on 135 with Haney versus Cambosos. And then the winner of that, you know, maybe a rematch. And then the winner after all that fighting Lomachenko, right? With Shakur probably moving up after that. So they're going to they're gonna have the number one guy in the weight division just by resume alone. Just by the, one of their guys could come on top because he proved it against, you know, the best competition that someone could face. So it's curious how they, what they do with Ryan going forward. It's going to take him, you know, looking dominant in these fights to be, at least stay in the conversation as being arguably one of the best guys in the weight division. But if he starts struggling against these opponents, like it's a, it's a go or Maxi Hughes or Jojo Diaz, it's uh, not only is he not going to have the opponents to face, but he's not going to be able to have the argument at least of what his potential could possibly do if he had those opponents, right? You kind of need that too. That's kind of like what Tank has, right? Tank obliterates guys. So, Everyone kind of feels like Tink is the best guy in his weight class, and he hasn't even faced anyone really. To me, like Haney's resume, especially after Cambosos, will be a lot better than Tink's. But just because Tink's skill and how he beats the guys that he faces, he's still in the conversation as the best guy in the weight division. That's what kind of Ryan Garcia needs to do for these next few fights. How do I see this fight playing out? I think Tagol's going to, and Ryan are going to fight on the inside. And I think that Tagol. It's going to land some good stuff on the inside. He's going to get some good work, but that speed and power is for real. I'm curious if Goosen kind of slows down Ryan a little bit, because I do see that Ryan kind of loses himself in combinations. He's very good at the first shot. It's very precise and very fast, but the second shot or third shot, he really loses himself. He could play a good note on a guitar, but he could continue the song. It starts getting real sloppy, starts missing strings off rhythm. I want to know if maybe... Gusa kind of slows him down and says, and when he gets to the inside, it's like really pick your shots, really choose when you want to attack. I think Ryan's going to look good in this fight. I think that to go is the right opponent for it to be a, still a good fight, but a fight that he can win in a style that he wants to win. And I'm going to take Ryan in a stoppage in this fight. I'm taking a TKO in the seventh. I think that to go is going to be durable. I think that he's going to withstand the first a few big shots, but I think over time, uh, trying to ride out these punches, trying to move out of the way of these punches, trying to surf, you know, basically trying to surf the waves that are Ryan Garcia. I think he's going to get ate up eventually. Now, I do think Ryan will be hitting this fight, but I do think that the style of the more offensive, stop putting yourself in where you need to be more defensive, right? Put yourself in a more offensive position is going to create a lot of excitement for Ryan Garcia. It's going to look... Uh, like he's going to have a lot of potential. People are going to say, well, this Ryan Garcia, right, that gets on the inside could beat a lot of guys. I think that's what we're going to walk away from this fight saying. When you notice when he fought um, Campbell, yeah, I know he got dropped, right? And the same thing with uh, Zoo, right? When Zoo got dropped, everybody just like, oh, no, he got dropped. That's it. 
you know what I mean? He's got too many defensive flaws. It's just that, and it happened early, so you could just easily write the story of that fight. Even though he goes on win, he dominates all the rounds. That's what kind of happened to Ryan in the, in the Campbell fight. And if you go and when he's putting the pressure, it's like Campbell cannot do anything. That's the style. That's what's going to work for him. I think that's going to work for him this night. Now, to go, what does he have to do? He's got to stay durable. He's going to have to prove that he can take these shots. Because his style's on the inside. And he's going to have to work the body. And he's going to have to convince Ryan, right, that the one shot's not going to work. And maybe put a little doubt in his mind, right? Make a little doubt on all these changes that Ryan made that it might be the wrong decision. And maybe to go can stay in there long enough, right? Get in a rhythm and later in this fight, really put it on Ryan and make this fight where Ryan feels like he might fall behind a little bit, right? He needs a knockout. Then he starts rushing his work again and he gets a little sloppier. I would think that's where to go has to be. It's going to be a lot about his physical, what he can do physically, what he can withstand for him to really um, put out, put out the, put out the punishment that he needs to win this fight. Now we got to talk about Triple G and Ryoto Murata. Um, Murata and Triple G is going to be at like three in the morning for me. I'm in LA, so I don't know what time it is for everybody else, but it's going to be for me like three in the morning. I will be up. I will watch this live. I'll be live tweeting. If you don't believe me, look, go live tweet me. Tweet, tweet back at me. I'll be tweeting. I'll be watching this fight. Now Triple G. A lot of complaints about Triple G towards the end of his career. He's definitely uh, took advantage of his contract and fought opponents that he could get big paydays. There weren't really, you know, uh, Rolls and Zermeta weren't really uh, a threat to beating him. Now, he did fight Dervichenko in that. Uh, I don't believe Dervichenko. I don't believe Dervichenko was going to be as big as a threat as what it ended up being in a fight that he could have possibly lost, right? And I see a lot of people comparing this fight to that Dervinchenko. Um, I I don't I don't see that. Now Murata, who's a pressure fighter, is going to be in there, and it's going to be an entertaining fight because of the style of it, and the style of the two fighters, the technique, and where they want to be to have success, just means it's going to be entertaining. But Murata doesn't fight like Dervinchenko. Dervinchenko can sprint at you. He can switch angles and then apply pressure and kind of pushes you back. Uses his strength to push you back. Murata's not looking to push you back. Murata is looking to stay in the pocket, apply pressure, but he's not really ever physically pushing you back. He's kind of staying in range, really tight range, but he's looking just to trade with you. He's a, he's a really sock and bop him type style. Now he's uh, patient at times, but defensively, there's no surprises to him. There's no like, uh, there's no layers to his defensive game to where like. Triple G's going to have to figure it out. No, he's going to be right there in front of him. He's going to have a high guard. And he's going to look to take some shots and then respond. I just don't know how many shots he could take for Triple G. And Triple G is vulnerable. And he's, you know, 39 years old, possibly 40 by the time he gets to the ring. I'm not sure. Any moment now, Triple G could turn 40 years old. Any moment right now, Triple G's body could turn 80. That's the thing when you're 40. Like, you never know what you're going to get. So I can't say it's for sure. Oh, Triple G's going to win this fight. That's what a lot of people are saying. It's, oh, it's for sure. It's made for Triple G. He's 39 years old, close to 40, probably is 40 by the time I end this podcast. And when you're that age, you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know, you will turn old overnight. So you can't say, oh, yes, this guy is the Triple G that I seen two years ago, one year ago, uh, two months ago. It's uh, you, you can't say that. Now, if it's a Triple G that we saw against Zermeta, he should win this fight. His jab could win it alone. But say it's a Triple G that... It's first of all coming off a long layoff, so is Murata. But a 40-year-old Triple G coming off a long layoff. Can't get in rhythm. Has timing bad. 
his power could save the day, but is he going to become too dependent on his power? Right? Is he not going to be able to move his head? The little sh- slight head movement that he has that um, allows him to stay in the pocket, right? And not take so much damage. I mean, Murata's style, I, to me personally, I think is, you know, works better off a long layoff. It just does. Because I think Triple G is a lot of precision, timing. He really. Uh, puts a lot of thought in his punches and the way he throws them are certain techniques that he's mastered over time. I, I don't really see that Murata. It seems like Murata just kind of like hitting the heavy bag. And there's more precision in Triple G, but with that more precision comes, you know, in your mind, you placing the shots where you want them. And when you don't place them where you want them, and with that precision, with that timing that he has, when it's not there, then it makes him really doubt what he's doing. Murata's not going to have that problem. Murata's just going to work. Murata's going to get to work right away. And if Murata is durable in this fight, and he's able to get this fight in the later rounds, I think Triple G is going to be in a lot of trouble here. But I think Triple G is going to do enough damage early to Murata's face. Right? He's going to do enough damage to him in that early point where Triple G's fresh. He's able to land the jab, and Murata's standing in front of him looking to trade. I think Murata's going to take a lot of damage at that point. Now, if he could work through it, right, that'd be good. But... I don't think he is going to work through it. I think that Triple G's jab should be able to win this fight alone. Like I said, his placement of his shots. And I think that the damage over time will be too much. Now, I do expect Murata to have moments in this fight. Triple G does not have the legs to consistently avoid big shots and doesn't have the head movement anymore. Right? With the timing and the flow and the reaction to, reaction speed to not avoid, you know, big shots in this fight. He's not going to do that. But Triple G's chin has always been solid. His body's been a little more questionable, right? And Murata does, will go to the body. But I think he's going to hold up enough in this fight. And I think that Murata is just kind of picture-perfect style for Triple G at this point of his career to really emphasize everything he's still good at. I'll expect, I'll expect Triple G to get the stoppage in this fight. I could see it being a doctor stoppage of just the damage Murata takes because I don't think Murata's like glass jaw or anything like that, but... It's just his style and taking big shots from Triple G like that consistently. I can see Dr. Stoppage in this fight. I'm going to say around the 7th to 8th round. It just might add up too much. And I'll take Triple G to win this fight. Set up a fight with uh, Canelo. Now, I do want to talk about the decision of having this fight, right? And letting this fight go ahead. Now, Triple G supposedly is going to make around $12 million for this fight. So, I understand that why he wants it. And he feels like this is the perfect matchup for him. And if he is fresh or, you know not completely washed, it is a good matchup for him. But the fact that Matchroom, who basically did with Canelo, is really based on Triple G. And as far as Canelo, who's the big benefit of the deal with Matchroom is being able to fight an old Triple G for still $40 million. $45 million, wherever he's getting paid. That's the big sell for Matchroom and Canelo. Right for Triple G, he's still gonna get paid twelve for this. He's got a, a decent payday. I'm guessing a little bit more than what he's making uh, on Saturday with Canelo. But it's it's worth the risk for him. I get that. But for Canelo, Matchroom to take this risk to allow this fight to go on for Triple G, to who's forty years old, right? By the by the time I end the sentence, he'll be forty years old. To continue with this fight, to me, it's it's insane. It's it's madness. It's bad promotion. It's a bad decision on Canelo's part, as far as, to me, what the is the biggest selling point of the deal you signed. 
But we're going to see it play out. I I always thought that this fight would have got canceled. I never thought that they would allow this fight to go forward. But sometimes my predictions or what I think is a good idea, right? What I think is just how I would promote it, how I would manage it, how the, the business decisions I would make. But maybe those predictions like that is not the best way to go about it. Maybe we need to predict on how do these companies usually run, right? Predict on what they usually, decisions they usually make. And I think this is a very questionable one. And I think that if Triple G were to lose this fight, I just hope Matchroom has uh, full rights to Murata's next fight. And I hope that the, the Canelo versus Murata is, can sell like Golovkin versus Murata can. Or I hope that the John Ryder fight that you've been saving towards the end, I guess, is ready to go next. Because I think it's a very questionable decision that this fight's still going forward for Canelo and for Matram and for DAZN. The last fight we're going to talk about, and it's of all the fights we've talked about, this is possibly the best matchup. No, it is the best matchup. It's the best matchup. And it's two guys that are going to be competing for the, you know, soon this, uh, will be in the conversation. The winner of this will be in the conversation of being the best at 154 to challenge. Charlo or Castano, whoever wins the rematch. You have Erickson Lubin, who was knocked out by Charlo. And is you know, when he was rushed into a title shot. And Sebastian Fundora, who is 6'7 at 154 and likes to fight on the inside. And I see that a lot of people say, well, Sebastian Fundora needs to learn how to fight on the outside. He needs to learn how to box, learn how to use his reach. And sometimes, you know, that's just not in a guy's mentality. Or maybe even his body and his, the way his coordination works or what he feels comfortable doing. He just can't do that. And to me, sometimes it's like if you're talking to a person that's not funny and it's like, you know what make your life better? Be funny. And it's like that's just not in the books for this person. It's not in the books for Sebastian Ventura. A lot of times it's a mentality. A lot of times it's certain things that you're, uh, you know, you're good at, you're gifted at that you have to do in the ring, right? And Sebastian Fedora is very good at finding the inside. So a lot of people are saying he's got to learn how to find the outside. It's like, not like he's bad at finding the inside. He's very good at finding the inside. He does very good things. And his height and reach actually works well on the inside. And he could smother you and still, because his arms are so long, could come from very wide angles. He could still get a lot of leverage on very short shots because he's punching for with uh, very wide from very wide points, and he can also get around guards. He can also sneak shots in that you don't see there. He's he's very good on the inside. So I just like to say, oh, this guy needs to learn how to fight on the outside. I think it's just like a common thing to say when you see a guy that, that tall. But you gotta appreciate what he's doing on the inside. It's pretty damn good. And we come to Erickson Lubin. <clears throat> like I said, he was rushed into the Charlo fight, and I really believe that hurt his confidence. I think Erickson Lubin is offensively a very gifted fighter, but I don't think he has the confidence to really let it all go and show the full weaponry that he has. Now he does in his spurts, but I think he's afraid of his, I think he's afraid of getting caught like he did in Charlo by, Char, uh, by Charlo. And he was hurt by Goucher, right? And he was hurt by, uh, Rosario. And he was slept by Charlo. And I really think that that's in the back of his mind. And he knows that a good shot can put his lights out. And it really made him just more of like defensively aware, but more of like second guessing himself. Because what Lubin before Charles knocks him out is like offensively just super gifted. And he, 
he shows it in glimpses, right? He shows a combination of glimpses. He shows the way he could pick shots and glimpses. He shows like when he's just free firing and fully confident, but he just doesn't have that confidence anymore. And it's probably never going to come back because he was been rocked after the turtle fight. I just can't see that he's just fully going to commit to the offense like he has before. And maybe for good reason, maybe his chin is just not going to hold up. Now in this fight, Fondora is going to put pressure. I think Fondora's last fight, he didn't look great. I think he was trying something new. I, I warn people against stuff like that. You got to really look at what a fighter looks like his whole career, right? You got to get like at least five, six fights and see like, what, is, what does he look like in all these fights? And then you can eliminate the ones that are outliers. I think the last fight was an outlier. I think he was trying to work on his boxing a little bit, trying to work on different elements of his game. And he ended up in a competitive fight with Garcia. And then he was just in the rhythm of trying to box. And when he would try to go to war, he just didn't have the exact timing that he needed. But I think that in this fight, he's going to go back to what he's really good at. He knows he needs to win this fight. He knows it's the biggest fight of his career. He knows it's a huge opportunity, probably a world title shot next. So he's going to go back on the inside. And I think that Lupin, who doesn't like to be rushed, right, likes to pick his shots now, likes to be a little more patient, fight on his terms, might be rushed in this fight and might get a little bit of that confidence back because he's going to be able to hit Fundora uh, early. He's going to be able to, and Fundora's tall, and it's definitely obvious when he gets hit. And it also feels like he might go to sleep when he gets hit. If you look like the Coda fight, or you look at the Gallimore early, early in the Gallimore fight, and I think that Lupin might land, and that might start giving him confidence, but it also might get him out of his game where he's like really letting go. He's really pushing the pace, and he ends up in a fight that might not be to his benefit later on, where he's in a war, he's in a slugfest, he's in a fight where you're burning energy early. Looking for the knockout, starting to really sit on your shots, and Fedora's just working, right? And Fedora's just slowly sneaking little shots in, working your body, smothering you, working in the clinch. And I think the Lupin might blow his load, but also might be in a fight where he's getting hit too much, and those little shots are starting to add up. And I think that Lupin, who will look at early, win rounds early, will begin to break down from this pressure. Also, remember, both guys are southpaw. So it's going to be very comfortable for uh, both guys to get their offense off. And there's not going to be a lot of front foot problems. And I think that a lot of those things work against Lupin. I think Lupin would like a little awkwardness in this fight. Like for uh, Fandora to have to find his way in. But I just don't think the rhythm of the fight is going to go that way. I think Fandora is going to force this fight to be a really active fight. A really... You know, working on the inside, trying to find your angles, constantly making those legs work, constantly the mind working at all times in this fight. And I think Fandora is going to win that fight with pressure and he's going to win a marathon and Lubin might win the sprint, but he's going to run out of energy. He's going to get broken down. He's going to get stopped late. I'll take Fandora by stoppage in the 10th round. And I think that he does drop Lubin. I think Lubin, you know, may get up, try to fight it off, but will succumb to the pressure that is Fundora. And I think that I understand a lot of people picking Lubin in this fight, and it makes a lot of sense because it seems like Fundora is, you know, open for that big shot. It seems like he's, uh, you know, I remember when Fundora fought Gallimore and I picked Gallimore and I just thought, like, this guy is not ready for this fight. Gallimore likes to fight on the inside. Gallimore can hit, he's explosive. It's just no way that Fundora is going to be able to survive, but he did. He did survive those shots. And 
eventually it was like there wasn't any shots coming for him. It was just his offense. And then you look at Coda and Coda lands on him. It's not like Fondora folds. So we have this idea just because a big, tall, giant, lanky guy gets hit, he's going to fold. And I think this chin's going to be solid. I don't think he's going to fold. I don't think he's going to get hurt. I think he's going to hold up. And this is going to be a very comfortable pace and very comfortable location of this fight for Fendora. There's also a Tony Harrison uh, fight on the undercard versus Sergio Garcia, who, you know, had just fought Fendora and gave him a really good fight. I, Garcia has very little um, power. He doesn't have any really physical traits that are, you know, uh, outstanding or elite or high level. I just think he's a smart fighter. He's a crafty fighter. He knows how to win. I think Tony Harrison is a very skilled fighter who has, you know, his demons late in a ring, right? His, his demons late in a fight that he can't seem to get past. I don't think Garcia has the elements in his game to really make Harrison doubt himself late or, you know, make him pay late for those things. I think Tony Harrison should win this fight. But remember when I talked about the names, there you go to weight division and they have all these names, right? There's so much depth. And then overnight, suddenly all that depth's gone and it's, all these guys lose, and then there's a new batch of guys. And that seems like what 154 is going through right now. So, J-Rock lost. Hurd lost. Harrison should have lost to Perella. Didn't look great in that fight. Now he's going to fight Sergio Garcia, who I know is going to be active. I know he's going to have tricks up his sleeve, but Harrison should win this fight. They're fighting 154. That's good news, right? So that means that Harrison's going to be in shape. I'm going to take Harrison just on skill alone. I didn't break down this fight. I'm just going off of top of my head what I remember with both these guys' game. But I just don't think Garcia's leading anything. Now, I think he'll be crafty. I think he'll be competitive in this fight. But I'm going to take Tony Harrison by decision. Great night of fights. Um, you know, from the morning, I'm talking about 3 o'clock for me, to the night. It's going to be nothing but interesting storylines and interesting outcomes. And the outcomes of these fights and what they mean going forward are huge. And these are all three guys, right? I mean, well, four guys. Well, to be fair, every guy fighting on the card. There's three main events where whoever wins is, is going to be able to say, you know, I might be the best guy in the weight division. It doesn't, doesn't happen often. And I think that we're talking about the fights now, right? The business of boxing is going to be the business of boxing. It's always going to be the most, you know, interesting thing. But we're going to talk about these fights. These are actual fights that are happening. These are uh, interesting matchups and interesting superstars. And I can't wait to be back here on Sunday and have a breakdown for you of everything that we see. Thank you guys for listening. It's been the Ezra Podcast.